3: Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo, the third installment in the hilarious New York Times best-selling children's book series filled with inventions, science experiments, and baseball-playing robots, by former National Ambassador for Young People's Literature John Sheska and mad science illustrator Brian Biggs. That's Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo, on sale now from Amulet Books. And by Prudential's Forty Forty Vision a multimedia microsite exploring what life and the future looks like for today's 40-somethings. Hear what inspires real people, the hopes they have for tomorrow, and much more. See yourself in their stories at slate.com forward slash 4040vision forward slash family. And by Little Passports. Keep your kids busy this fall with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Right now, Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month with the promo code Dad 40 Learn more at littlepassports.com forward slash Dad.
4: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: Hello, and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 22nd, the live from basically the White House edition. Yes, we are live in Washington, D.C. Dan's wife is here. My parents are here, so don't embarrass me. And the Secret Service is here. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate, and the mom of Harry, who is finally seven. One of my children finally had a birthday, yes. Uh, Sam, who is four, and Wally, who's two.
4: Uh, I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate. I'm the dad of Lyra, who is 10, and Harper, who is eight. Hello, Allison.
0: Hello. On today's show, we'll talk to Stephen Thompson, host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, about the joys and pitfalls of passing along your pop culture taste to your children. Then, White House Senior Advisor Valerie Jarrett will be here to talk about her personal work-life balance, the future of family leave, and the Iran deal. (laughs) And if that weren't enough, John Dickerson, excellent father, Slate columnist, Slate podcaster, host of Face the Nation, will join us to dish on presidential parenting and talk about his own process of abandoning his children for the campaign trail every four years. (laughs) Plus a very special triumphs and fails, and we'll take parenting questions from the audience. Dan, do we have announcements?
4: We do. Uh, first of all, all of you who are listening to this, and I guess everyone, also everyone in the room, um, please like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Fighting. I am there every single day telling people that they owe me 47 cents for playing Ace of Hates. Uh, We are coming to you tonight live from the stage of Wooly Mammoth Theater in D.C. And listeners in the D.C. area should definitely check out Woolley's next show, which is called Winners and Losers. It opens on October 27th. This two-man show starts as a seemingly harmless drinking game separating the champs from the chumps, but it gets complicated fast. It got great reviews in New York. I can't wait to see it. I've already got my tickets. You can get tickets today at Wollymammoth.net and use the code SLATE for a discount in the second week of shows. And finally, listeners in New York, the Slate Superfest is coming to Broadway. Join us at Town Hall on November 16th is the Political Gab Fest, featuring John Dickerson. The Culture Gab Fest and Hang Up and Listen, featuring Josh Levine.
0: Who's in the audience Who's in the audience, there he is.
4: As they battle it out to see who rules the great white way. I will be emceeing in what would be my Broadway debut if it wasn't for all those shows playing Tom Collins in my dreams. Go to slate.com slash superfestnyc for tickets on to triumphs. And fails. Allison.
0: Okay. You guys know the drill. Every episode, we either admit to a fail or a triumph. (laughs) Uh, But this week, we're going to shake it up a little bit. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I told listeners about my issue with asking Harry about his day Um, Normally, I just say, hey, Harry, how was your day? Or how was school today? And he rolls his eyes and groans and falls on the ground as if just the sound of my voice has killed him. (laughs) Uh, So listeners wrote in with really good suggestions. The best one, the one that we loved the most, was called Two Truths and a Lie which was making it a game, everyone in the family goes around and says two true things that happened that day and one made-up thing that happened that day and then everyone else has to guess what the lie was and it's really fun and yet you learn a couple of things about your kid's day. So we are going to do Parenting Triumphs and Fails, Two Truths and a Lie edition. It's very high concept, so stick with us here. It couldn't
4: possibly go wrong. <laughs>
0: So I'm going to say either, either three fails or three triumphs, two of them are true, one is a lie. At the end, with your applause, you will guess which one is the lie. Ready.
4: I actually don't know which one is a lie, so I'm, I'm also going to vote.
0: You can vote too, yes. Okay. okay. So I'm doing fails because I like to play to type. Um, <laughs> here are my three fails. Number one, I let Harry listen to music on iTunes Shuffle with headphones without checking what music was on Shuffle first and he came running into the kitchen screaming, guess what song just came on? Fuck school! (laughs) Which is a great replacement song. Uh, That sounds real. (laughs) Number two, Sam has been begging me to send Lunchables to school, and he goes to a Jewish preschool, and the only Lunchables I could find were the ones with ham in them, which they would not allow. And I told him this, and he didn't, like, he didn't care. It wasn't fair. And so instead of saying, like, life's not fair, them's the breaks, I said, all right, I'll just pack them. The school will have to deal with it, and the school will be the bad guys. When the school called me to gently say, please don't pack a ham in your lunch, I did not anticipate that Sam may have told them that this happened, so I sold my husband out and said, like, oh, I didn't. I told my husband, but he didn't. And they were like, no, Sam told us that you packed them. So, okay, first, fuck school, second, Hamgate. gate, <laughs> third, uh, last week was respect week at Harry's school. They learned a lot about bullying and how to deal when a kid is bullying you. And so Harry came home and told me that a girl in his class had been bullying him and he wanted me to talk to her parents. He said she was the top number one girl bully in the school. And I didn't. I didn't talk to her parents because I wasn't really sure what was going on and because I'm friends with her parents and I couldn't really figure out how to to have that conversation. He's asked me repeatedly to have this conversation with them. And clearly he is doing what he was told to do, like find an adult that you trust and tell them. (laughs) And I just, you know, I um, betrayed that trust and I just keep blowing him off. So, three good fails, which is the lie. This all
4: sounds so plausible.
0: (laughs) Fuck school. All right, by audience vote. Fuck school.
4: (laughs) Hamgate. Bullies. Uh, So the audience seems to be voting for Hamgate.
0: The audience is correct.
4: Whoa, nice job.
0: Because what I actually did was open up the Lunchables, take this ham out, and put turkey in, and then I sent it. (laughs) Okay, Dan.
4: Uh, Okay, here are my two truths and a lie. Uh, Fail number one. I knocked over a toddler and made her cry while dancing with Lyra at a bar mitzvah, and she was completely horrified, and I said, that toddler shouldn't have been on the dance floor. (laughs) Fail number two. Um, Harper wanted to give me a full makeover. And I gave her a very careful answer about how it had nothing to do with gender. Mommies and daddies can both wear makeup, but right now I just don't want to. And she said, no, I know daddies. Daddies don't care what they look like. <laughs> Fail number three. Uh, I made my kids cry by yelling at them during a the viewing of Back to the Future 2 because they wouldn't stop asking, why does Marty's mom look like that? And why is Biff rich? So those are my three. Uh... <laughs> So, so it's bar mitzvah toddler, full makeover, and Back to the Future Two. So let's uh, let's vote bar mitzvah toddler. <laughs> that Does sound like something I would do. <laughs> full makeover. Back to the Future Two.
0: Back to the Future One.
4: Okay, you're mostly wrong. I did, in fact, make my kids cry during Back to the Future Two. Because they can't wait for the movie to just answer their fucking question. You learn why Biff is rich. It's like the whole point of the movie.
0: Can I I interrupt just to say that Back to the Future was like, it was torture to me as a child. Did anyone else have this experience? Like, I couldn't understand the concept. How could you go back to the future? And I would cry about it to my parents and ask a million questions, so I sympathize with your children.
4: Yes, you're also the worst. Uh... (laughs) And I did knock over that toddler at the bar mitzvah. And I did say that to my kid. Uh, But the lie was about my makeover. Last night, in fact, Harper came into the kitchen and she said, Daddy, can I practice makeup on your face and be your triumph? (laughs) Mommy told me to say that. All right, let's bring out our first guest. Uh, My issue with Back to the Future 2 made me really want to talk to an expert about how we, in fact, experience pop culture with our kids. Uh, And then the Star Wars trailer came out last night, making me want to talk about it even more. And there's no better person to to talk about pop culture and kids with than pop culture expert and grown-up kid Stephen Thompson. Stephen was the founding editor of the AV Club and is now an editor at NPR Music. He's the co creator of NPR's great podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, and appears every week on that show. Most importantly, he is a proud Wisconsin man. Please welcome Stephen Thompson. Uh, all right, so the big pop culture news this week, Stephen, is The, the Force Awakens, the mm-hmm. Star Wars trailer that came out last night. Uh, there, were, there were like five teasers, pre-trailer teasers to the trailer mm-hmm. that came out in the days before. Tell me, how aware are your kids of this sort of onrushing pop culture juggernaut that will one day be the defining event of their childhoods? <laughs> <I>
5: mean, <laughs> well, see, we say that. You and I are both schlubs in our 40s, and uh, I'm sorry. I, I am a schlub. I, in
4: yes, We're all schlubs true. in our forties up here. Okay. Did you hear
5: something? <laughs> <laughs> and and so there's this certain assumption. I think I think you actually get at an interesting point, which is we assume that this is going to be a massive moment in their childhoods. I think the only way that the Force Awakens is going to be a formative experience for certainly my kids, but I think kids in general, is that it's going to teach an entire wave of young people about crushing disappointment. As as episode one did for the previous generation. But it didn't. The previous generation of kids thought episode one was great. It only crushingly disappointed people our age oh, who are already prone true. to crushing disappointment. That's true. My, my, yeah, my, our generation is definitely... We are the disappointment generation. And, and you know, I, th- I, think you, I think you make a certain point. Actually, my kids and I are not big Star Wars people. Um, and I think in general one of the big differences between when you and I were kids, Star Wars, I'm 43, Star Wars came out when I was five, and Star Wars was one of the, if not the only game in town, it was one of the very few games in town. And so, if you wanted to see Star Wars, you went in the theater, maybe you went during like a revival screening, there were, you know, there were ways to see it, midnight screenings and stuff, but you didn't have it, you didn't have everything that ever was available to you all the time. And so, Nowadays, I think a lot of kids are going to go to see The Force Awakens and just be like, hmm, huh, and then just you know maybe obsess over the
0: next thing. I so think it's so
4: just the movie I saw.
0: So, how hard do you work to pass on to your kids? Like, do you want your kids to understand what's so important about Star Wars, or do you I, want them to like find their own? I mean,
5: I, I try as as much as possible to let my kids, and they can they can they can, they're just going to be off on the side like shaking their heads and going no, <laughs> but I, I try as much as possible to sort of put pop culture in front of them for them to accept or reject and to try to take their response at face value. Like, nothing in the world made me happier than the fact that my daughter's favorite movie is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And nothing in the world will make me sadder than when she reflexively rejects it because I just said that it made me so <laughs> Sorry, happy. Sorry, I definitely a joke. <laughs> so she loves, uh, she loves Pee-wee's Big Adventure. She loves, uh, she loves Beetlejuice. We've watched hundreds of hours of The Simpsons and Futurama together and bonded over that, and that's been wonderful, but I try to always gird myself for the possibility that the kids are gonna be bored and they're gonna wanna do something that is not of interest to me, and it's one of the most important things that we can do as parents is not view sharing pop culture with our kids as like a parenting perk or birthright, it's a privilege when it happens, it's exciting when it happens, but we're just as likely to have our hopes dashed. Um, And I've been very lucky not only because my kids are, don't tell them I said this, but my kids are actually great. (laughs) Um, Dad. (laughs) So we've, had, we've gotten to have a lot of those bonding experiences of sharing that stuff together. But there's a lot, also a lot of stuff where the kids reflectively run to the opposite side of the house when football is on because they do not want to watch football with shouty dad. And I have to work extra hard to understand um, things that they're working on, like Pokemon and math. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you guys, though, do you feel... Some sense of pride when your kid likes something that you think is cool.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah, I mean, but it's a reflection—it's a reflection on this of thing.
4: how awesome I am.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going for false humility oh, here. So sit tight. Um, I mean, yeah, it's—it there's a sense of like clearly I have done something right if my children appreciate Pee-wee's Big Adventure on the level that I do. Um, but <laughs> but at the same time, like you were—you really are trying to raise. Individuals with their own sets of, of interests. My parents uh, were, slash are, two of the world's foremost experts on comic books. Like when, when Pop Culture Happy Hour uh, did a panel at Comic-Con in 2014, uh, we went as guests of my mother. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Your mom is a legend. It's so
5: a- so uh, my mom and dad edited a magazine called Comic Spire's Guide, and, and my mom is still like, you know, all about comics. And I reflexively rebelled against that a little bit. Not rebelled like, tell with you mom and dad I'm not gonna read Richie Rich or whatever. Um, But like I found my own pocket of obsession that was that was different from that even though that same incredibly fortunate ability to make a living on enthusiasm I managed to inherit from them. I make a living enthusing about music and now on the podcast on Pop Culture Happy Hour about, music and te- or about movies and television and stuff like that. And that I ultimately got from my parents, even though the specific things they were most excited about sharing with me. You talk about pop culture fails. My parents sat me down uh, and had me watch Midnight Cowboy with them.
4: At age. <laughs>
5: At age about 13, because it's such a good movie. <laughs> and it's really important for my education that I sit down and watch it with them.
0: All right, so I, in my family, we've had a lot more luck passing along music than movies. Movies, recently, actually, are two experiences. We tried Bad News Bears, mm-hmm. which, like, has anyone watched Bad News Bears lately? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it yeah. would not be made today. That is for sure. I have There's had... A lot of slurs in that movie. I've
5: also, yeah, I've had several experiences of, of sitting down with, with my kids and forgetting about all the rampant homophobia.
0: Yeah, <laughs> And then E.T., which they just, like, didn't get. Like, in the moment at the end of the movie when, like, Drew Barrymore is crying and everyone's crying and they're saying goodbye to E.T., Harry said, did they shut off the camera and cut onions and then turn the camera back on? (laughs) I was like... (laughs) Which was devastating. He wanted to know how much all the actors made. Like, he was not... He was not buying it at all. Was, Was
4: John like, well, hold on, let me check.
0: Yeah. Right. So that was not successful. But music, we have it's been much more successful in our family. Like getting, I don't even know if we, yes, I guess we have worked at it because we haven't played kids music.
4: Mm -hmm. And because music is, I feel like music is different than movies or TV because it's something that by necessity. And if you are sort of being together in a way that I like to be together with my family, it's something that everyone can share on a day to day, like everyday basis. Like we have family movie night, you know, every couple of weeks and I yell at my kids and then it's done and it was great. (laughs) But with music, that can be a part of our, like, everyday lives.
2: In the car. And,
4: yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, we have also, like, that has felt more dire to me, this need to, like, make sure that, that my kids have, like, some connection to the music that I enjoy listening to, even as I often am learning about music from them.
5: Right, and I think that's one of the important things, is that you take the time to learn music, as much from your kids as they're taking from you, to not, to not have every music discussion be the sermon on the mount, because that is the thing that will fail. But, you know, one of the nice things about music, and obviously I, I work at NPR Music and I'm, I'm marinating in music all the time and, and sharing it with my kids all the time. But one of the great things about it is that unlike Family Movie Night, listening to music together can be very passive. So it can be on, but it is not, it is, there's nothing homework about it. You're in the car, you know, you're on a road trip, we drive back to Wisconsin, we listen to a ton of music and maybe the kids latch on to something and maybe they don't. You know, so as much as possible, I try to just steer them in the direction of the things that they take an interest in. I'm waiting for, to, to grab onto a little line and then, like, bury them in music based <laughs> on their stated preference. So, for example, my daughter got into Guitar Hero on the Nintendo Wii, and suddenly that opened up a whole new world of loving Ozzy Osbourne. And so, like her favorite song of all time is Crazy Train, and she dressed as Ozzy for Halloween last year. And like ultimately, that I'm not gonna lie, that made me feel like kind of the coolest dad ever.
4: Can we hear? Can we hear a little bit of Crazy Train, please, from the booth?
5: This is the happiest she's been during this entire taping. <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah, we. I definitely have experiences like that too. For me, like my ultimate cool dad trademark sign moment uh, was when I convinced my kids to go to a Slater Kinney show with oh, me sure. at the Nine Thirty Club because I like seeing those women up on stage being amazing made me feel like oh I want my kids to see this and so like I bought them earplugs and yeah. we went to the show and we watched it and they really really liked it. Uh, and I felt like the greatest dad ever. Oh, yeah. And then as we were on our way out, they, we left about two-thirds of the way through the show because it was really late. And Lyra took the earplugs out as we were on our way out. And then she was just walking like this. Oh. And the looks that people gave me, oh. it was it, I felt the worst. And I kept yelling at people as loud as I could. She had earplugs. <laughs> she just took them out while we're leaving. Some guy took his earplugs out and tried to give them to her. Oh! I said, "Don't take those."
5: <laughs> <laughs> and what you were totally hoping for was like the walk back to the car to be like, "Dad, tell us about feminism." <laughs> it
4: was. It was. My ears are really ringing, Dad.
0: Okay. Well, in my house, I'd say my husband is um, a music tyrant. So I grew up loving Billy Joel with my parents. That was like the shared, but we don't have a lot of Billy Joel in no. in Maplewood, New Jersey. Uh, Everyone else
4: in Maplewood, New Jersey, has a lot of Billy right. Joel. Yeah.
0: So yeah, since early days, I would say my kids have gravitated toward uh, the the music that my husband grew up listening to. So right now they're really into the Replacements, as I said, with "Fuck School." Um, and the most popular song when we get into the car now, the two-year-old Wally asks for "Kids Don't Follow." which I don't know if you're familiar with this song, but it opens with the uh, police trying to break up a teen party because there's a lot of drinking and drugs happening at the party, and then it launches into like some really fast punk, and it's all about kids not listening to their parents. the party is
6: over with, grab your stuff and go, <laughs> and then nobody goes to
0: jail. <laughs> What's <on> to the <laughs> <laughs> It's a great song, though. It's a great song. And then we had to talk about the overdoses. and. Sure, yeah. Of-
6: <laughs>
4: I mean, well, so one thing I was really happy to figure out when we were researching this topic, we were prepping for this, was that there is, has, in fact, been a really interesting Cornell study that suggests that young adults, rather than, like, reflexively... Uh, rejecting the music that their parents love, they often feel a very a very real affection towards specifically the music that their parents listen to at their own age. Yeah. So like, they're, they're, I mean, the study showed that young adults find basically they find us adorable. Uh, <laughs> we're like pets. We're like pets. Yeah. Remember, what they they can't believe once we were young. Right. But we guess that Prince song is pretty good. <laughs> Uh, All right, well, thank you, Stephen Thompson, so much for joining us. Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's a fantastic show. Everyone should listen to it. Everyone give it up for Stephen Thompson.
0: Okay, we're going to do our first ad. This week's first sponsor is book three in the very funny science-themed children's book series from Amulet Books, Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo. The New York Times best-selling team of John Sheska and Brian Biggs have created a unique world of fun, integrating real science facts into a book full of adventure, humor, and robots. The six-book series follows the adventures of kid inventor and scientist Frank Einstein, his best friend Watson, and his two robots Clink and Clank. The books encourage middle-grade readers to question the way things work and how they, too, can experiment with science. Frank Einstein's quest in book three is to unlock the power behind the science of the human body to help his friend Jane Goodall be a better baseball pitcher. The book has tons of cool human body facts, is perfect for fans of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and is great for new chapter book readers who are looking for something funny and smart to read. That's Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo. Check it out.
4: All right, so typically this is the part of the show where we answer a listener question, and we still want you listeners to call us with those questions so we can answer them in future episodes. If you have a question you want us to answer about parenting, give us a call at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Uh, and leave us a message on our voicemail. Um, but tonight, in honor of our amazing live audience here in Washington, D.C., we are going to answer your parenting questions. Uh, and uh, before you, we start answering these questions, we want to bring up a special guest. Long-time listeners uh, have heard a lot about a certain person in my life without ever getting to meet her. But We thought it was time to let her have a turn on the mic to tell her side of the story <laughs> Uh, And rebut all the bullshit that I've been saying for years. So welcome as our third question answerer tonight my attractive lawyer wife Alia Smith
1: (laughs) Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm the mother of Pip who's two and uh, My question is about gift
7: giving and I'm interested to know uh, how, how in your household you divide up the task of selecting gifts for your own kids and selecting gifts for other kids?
4: What a great question to ask while my wife is up here on stage.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: well, obviously I'm so involved in that process. Alia, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can take this one.
7: Yeah, I feel like actually we divide this up sort of along our lines of interest. Um, when it's somebody who's going to like comics or books of some kind, I normally delegate that to Dan. Um, but my only real gift advice is don't do craft activity sets. It's a little young for, uh, you know, two-year-olds are not going to get those, but every birthday we get like a million bracelet-making things and other types of... Yeah, and um, I just give them away to other people. Yeah. So, um, so that's my advice. But for two-year-olds, I would say, um, in general, our go-to gift is, is books. And happily for me, I have a book expert in the family, so that yeah.
4: helps. But yeah, those craft—that's a good point. That those craft kits that you'll start getting at like start, maybe age four, those are like the fruitcakes of child gifts. <laughs> right. uh, thank you, thank you for that question. Next, my coworker.
1: Hi, I'm Hi. Hannah. I Hi, so Hannah. disagree with what you just said about the craft kits. Um,
7: <laughs> Maybe you're more crafty than I am.
1: No, it's just like, it, they just like sit with them, they can't understand them, but it takes them a lot of time to like work their way. So it's like Hannah, television, but not. Save the advice. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm Hannah and, and I have three children and I have a teenage daughter, uh, Noah, and a son who's 12, Jacob, and a little kid, Gideon, who's seven. And my question is about roller coasters. I took Gideon to Harry Potter World in Orlando recently, which is a pretty extravagant present. Like we rented a hotel and we went there with a friend and it was like this big, big, huge deal because he just finished the Harry Potter series. Um, And then he really did not want to go on those awesome roller coasters, and I did. So do you force your child to go on a roller coaster when he really wants to not go on the roller coaster? Please stay at the mic so we can find out how this ends. (laughs) Uh, no. N- no, no, yeah, no.
0: <laughs> I no. was always the kid who was scared of the roller coaster. I would like get to the front of the line and be like, oh, I have to go to the
1: bathroom. Or I don't think you force him, but can't you go without him? Can not he wait for you? I totally forced him to go on the roller coaster. <laughs> Uh, on, like, all the roller coasters. Wait, it's like...
0: Wait, even but, and, like, the how, how do you hide? Then? Like, how even if force? he wasn't high enough, I would, like, lift him up. So, <laughs> And was he like, no, Mom, no, I'm scared.
1: Don't <laughs> no, make me do this. No, he a coping mechanism. <laughs> 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 oh, my God, this is terrible. I didn't even know this was terrible. That's what's really terrible. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, he just... He would tell me... Okay, for that one, I closed my eyes 73% of the time. <laughs> And for this one, I closed my eyes 84% of the time. So that was interesting to him to know, like to tell me how much he closed his eyes.
0: I don't think you can scare the shit out of your kid into liking roller coasters. Okay, so that was a fail. Yeah.
4: Yeah, (laughs) Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. (laughs) Welcome.
7: Hi, I'm Jess. We have Moxie, who's three, and Keen, who's nine months. And um, no matter what, my husband is taking Moxie, who's three, to the Star Wars movie, so we heard and I appreciate about how to manage my husband's expectations. How do we get Moxie through the movie? I I will say that although I I think it's questionable, I guess, to take a three-year-old to Star Wars, I think it's good to do it early because we wanted to introduce our, our girls to Star Wars when they were in early elementary school, and they were like, no, Star Wars is for boys, we're not interested in that. And so I think if you can take her before she starts to get that attitude and she develops an appreciation, that would be a good thing.
4: Uh, could you like, hire a teen to just go with your husband so he has someone to see Star Wars with?
0: <laughs> That's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, my advice was going to be bring an iPad with Thomas on it. Yeah,
4: that's what good idea. And just, like, sit in the back row, yeah. all the way in the back row. Also, don't do 3D, for God's sake. <laughs> Hello, welcome. Hi.
1: Hi, I'm Samantha. I'm a fellow North Arlington resident, and I have no children. I am not pregnant. Welcome. And the question I'm, <laughs> the question that I'm asking is actually because I haven't found, not great advice, on when you are pregnant and you want to be a responsible, loyal employee, like we just heard, how do you tell your employer? It doesn't seem like there's a lot of great information about the best way to approach that. I
4: also want to know when. When, like at what point do you tell your boss?
1: Well, we work in very different
0: environments, right? So we might have different answers to this. Um, At Slate, it's quite a supportive and family-friendly place. So I told... My boss, when I was, I think probably before I was three months pregnant, I think once I started telling other people, I told my boss, but I wasn't nervous about it. I mean, I think it's, I said it in a very, like, matter-of-fact way. It's allowed. You're allowed to be pregnant. (laughs) And you're going to get, you know, you expect, you should expect your leave, and you should get your leave, and you should not say it in an apologetic way. Right.
1: And they hired me when I was 22 and a single female. Like, it's one of those things where I think all of the demographic things showed up of well, we've gotten five years out of her. Like yeah, you've statistically, been a ticking time bomb I, right. time. I know. Well, that's, not, that's honestly how it felt when I got married because at my bridal shower, I work with doctors, and they were like, you know, you're getting married 40 weeks before Christmas. You uh, you don't <laughs> oh, want a surprise. You need I don't to- think they're surprised doctors.
0: when a 30-something woman is yeah. comes in and says they're pregnant. But, Alia, did you have a different experience?
7: No, I mean, I, I work at a very supportive law firm, and uh, I think I waited three months, but mostly just because that's, Typical for when you tell people outside of your immediate family anyway, uh, and they were very supportive I mean it was a little bit odd for me I was the, f- the first person in our office in New York ever to take maternity leave or to go out on leave and I Worked for a boss at the time who doesn't have any children. So it was You know, I have a colleague who tells a story about having to go in and tell her boss uh, That that she was taking maternity leave and all she could think to herself was oh my god He's gonna know I had sex <laughs> uh-huh. and, and so like there's like a little bit of that cuz you don't necessarily want it, want your boss to like think about that but uh in general it was uh it it was fine um and and I do think that people unless you work for a really horrible company are are going to be happy for you.
4: I do think that one piece of advice I would give is to do your best to Learn what the policy is before you go into that conversation, so you can make sure that you are advocating for the policy that you get. And if there are things that you're not getting that you think you ought to be getting, that you can make that that you can make that case. But
7: it doesn't have to be the same conversation uh, about. Doesn't? No, I mean you can tell your boss you're pregnant, and you still have six months before you're going to go out and leave. So you don't necessarily have to make all those decisions right away. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> good,
0: Thank you. Good one. Thank Thanks. you. Hi, I'm Mara. and. Um, I'm expecting my first, and I'm interested in everyone's thoughts about how much to um, push back against parents and other relatives versus chilling out about things like sugar and giving kids sugar and, and really gendered toys and the like. My mother, for example, is insistent that kids must have juice because otherwise they won't get fiber and won't be able to poop. it's um,
2: <laughs> a
4: specific um, belief. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And, uh, and gives cookies before dinner and all these sorts of things. And so I'm just curious, how, how, uh, what's your approach to letting grandparents kind of do what they're going to do versus pushing back? May I speak to this since my mother-in-law oh, yeah. <laughs> is in the audience, the pusher, the sugar pusher? I get annoyed and say no all the time. Right, Sandy? Where are you, Sandy? I'm <laughs> here. Yeah, she doesn't care. She just keeps on bringing it. <laughs> but I think it's okay to be like, it's enough. Like, I think it's okay to let, you know, you want the grandparents to have their pleasures, but like, if you don't think your kid, if your kid is pooping okay and doesn't need, <laughs> doesn't need the fiber from juice every day, I think it's fine to say like, actually, mom, he's drinking milk.
4: I don't know, I think I disagree.
0: Well, I think it's it's different if they're trying
7: to impose a whole philosophy on you, is one thing, and you can reject that. But we have a philosophy that if our parents are taking care of our children for us, they can do whatever. <laughs> they, like you know carte blanche.
4: I, In summary, Momfino, we're on your side. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you, all of you, for your questions.
0: Bye. Thank you, Ollie. Alia thank Smith. You. Okay, let's hear from our second sponsor, Prudential. Today's 40-somethings are charting their own courses, sometimes by choice, but many times out of necessity. Caring for aging parents, starting new careers midlife, juggling today's financial realities with planning for retirement, and much more. Prudential's 40-40 vision brings these challenges and others into sharper focus through real-life interviews and commentary from 40-somethings. You can check those out, plus a four-part podcast on first-time parenthood in your 40s with the radio and television personality, Faith Saley, at slate.com slash 4040vision slash family. All right, let's move on. In addition to secretly running the government and making Sean Hannity's head explode, White House Senior Advisor Valerie Jarrett is a working single mother. Last year she headed the White House Summit on Working Families, which was focused on raising the minimum wage and advocating for paid parental leave. She's nice. here today to talk to us <laughs> She's here today to talk to us about what makes a family-friendly workplace, what working parents need from the private sector and the government, and to announce Joe Biden's candidacy for President of the United States. <laughs> Please welcome Valerie Jarrett. <laughs>
2: Thank you Allison How did you know the vice president asked me to make that announcement (laughs) On his behalf He thought this would be the perfect venue And he would let me do it Because why would he want to do it I could just do it right
4: (laughs) We're a major market
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so if you really secretly ran the government what three policies would you immediately implement to help working families well
2: you mentioned a couple of them and we had this white house summit last year and it isn't going to be a surprise to any of you the kinds of issues that were important workplace flexibility is very important i can give you a story about that uh, equal pay for equal work that's pretty important for both the men and for the women now that women are half the workforce you want to make sure that Their contribution to the family income uh, is commensurate with the men. Child care, affordable child care. In over half of our country, child care costs more than public school, college. That's a lot of money. And so, particularly for young families who are struggling, that's very important. And then paid leave. We are, you're not going to believe this. Well, maybe you will. I don't think you're going to believe this. We are the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a paid leave policy. The only one. How could that be? The United States is supposed to be the innovators and the, you know, the creators of all of the top notch jobs in the world. How in the world are we gonna compete if we don't have paid leave? And so one of our policy initiatives is to try to get Congress to pass paid leave. But in the meantime, in case you haven't noticed, Congress doesn't pass very much <laughs> at all. And so we're going around the country and the Secretary of Labor and I have gone state by state, city by city and encouraged uh, local municipalities and states to pass paid leave policies, and several have. And then there are lots of employers who are not only passing the policies, but also requiring their suppliers and their vendors to do the same. So what do you think, uh,
0: Netflix recently, and I think other companies yes. have followed suit, recently announced uh, an unlimited leave policy.
2: So it's unlimited up to the first year. So you can take as much as you want. Uh, Facebook also is requiring it, not j- providing it not just for their employees, but for their vendors. Uh, Microsoft also requiring more of their vendors. So I think those are very important policies in allowing not just men, but women too, men and women, to be able to spend time with their family and come back to work. In fact, we just had three senior women at the White House return from their three months of paid maternity leave and while they were gone there were three women who were acting in their place and I think it's terrific and we welcome them back and they haven't missed a beat and I think as a result of our attitude in the White House and it starts with the top the president and first lady really wanted to create an environment where you can work really really hard but also raise your children uh, I think they're very very loyal in return so very important policies and if you can do it in the White House you can do it anywhere.
4: So you, um, uh, many, many years ago, you decided to leave your job at a big law firm um, so that you could spend more time with your daughter, Laura, when she was young. And... Now, these days, Laura, if I'm correct, is a lawyer, right?
2: Yes. In a big law firm. I don't know what happened. So I guess
4: one question I have. she
2: was not listening to me.
4: Based on what you see from her experience and what you see in dealing with companies, do you think that law firms or the legal profession in particular, do you think things are better there? Or is this a problem that she is eventually going to face if she ends up having kids?
2: I think it's going to be a problem she's going to face. I think the service industry, as a general rule, particularly now with technology, allowing them to work 24 hours a day from wherever they are. It's really challenging, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what firms around the country are willing to do to keep um, talent. And she's a better lawyer than I was, and she enjoys it more than I did. Uh, so that's great. I didn't just leave because I wanted to spend time with her. I also left because I was just miserable doing what I was doing. But I think it's very hard. Uh, there are companies in, that have figured it out and have given their employees the kind of flexibility they need to both meet the needs outside of their office and the needs uh, at home, but we still have a long way to go before uh, it is ubiquitous. And I think they're gonna lose a lot of talent as a result of that. Uh, For example, computer science. Women stay on average three years in the field of computer science after they've gone through all all that trouble of taking those wretched classes that you have to take to be a computer scientist and then because of the culture is the number one reason why they'll tell you they leave and so we have to change that we really do
0: So switching gears a little bit, your mother has spent her entire career focused on early childhood education. I don't want you to have to speak for her, but what would she say, how would she say we're doing right now as a country?
2: We are doing better, and this is something else the president has called on Congress to do, which they have not done, which is to fully fund quality, affordable early childhood education. Um, The studies have shown every dollar that you invest in affordable, quality early childhood education saves you $7 down the line. It's one of the very important metrics for success. And you can't stop with good early childhood education, but you certainly put your children on a better better trajectory if they have it. So again, cities and states around the country are investing in early childhood education. I think it is, when my mom started Erickson Institute, which is a graduate school in early childhood education, many, many years ago, uh, 45 years ago, I think it was, uh, Nobody even thought about it as a profession. We weren't teaching teachers how to teach preschool um aged children. And now it has evolved. And you hear not only President Obama, but candidates on the campaign trail talking about the importance of early childhood education. So we've come a long way, but it's still not fully funded. And as a result, you see disparities. And usually, it's the low-income kids that suffer.
4: Um, a recent This American Life episode that Allison has recommended on the show um, was a fascinating study into school integration uh, using a a, a school in Missouri as its example. Does the administration have plans to push in any way this notion that one of the greatest ways to improve a school and to improve the the school experience for minority students is to find ways to integrate those schools that are currently not doing that?
2: Well, we believe that uh, diversity is a strength it's not just good for the low-income kids, it's good for the other kids as well. Mm-hmm. And so our view is, is that to the degree you can give your children an enriched experience and expose them to ideas. It's one of my, just to go on a tangent for a second, one of my real concerns about this on-demand society that we're in, where you can receive information from wherever you want it. And what is tending to happen is that people gravitate towards venues of information that agree with them. So, for example, people who watch Fox tend not to watch MSNBC. And people who watch MSNBC tend to not watch Fox. And I think uh, that that's a problem. And so I think as a general rule, anytime you can create an an enriched environment where there is diversity and your children are exposed to people who don't necessarily have the same life experiences as they do, it adds to the experience for everybody.
4: Do you think there's any way that Americans can be convinced at this point that that that's true, that Americans at large can be convinced that it's worth it to move people around and make schools as diverse as they can possibly be?
2: I think it's really challenging and as we have seen over the last 50 years the pendulum has swung back in a lot of the schools because of geography and because for so long um, people who could move out of the cities did but now I think cities are vibrant and I know I'm from Chicago many of the people who maybe 10 or 15 years ago would have left the city are now staying in the city they're putting more pressure on the school system to improve and I think that that's healthy for all of the kids.
0: Right, it's not just a question of integrating the schools, it's integrating neighborhoods. Right.
2: And improving the overall quality. And we need to support our teachers. Teachers need to be making a lot more money than they're making now. I can't imagine why you'd put your most precious thing in the hands of somebody who isn't being paid adequately for the job that they're doing.
0: What is it like being a working parent in the White House?
2: Well, for me, it's easy, because my daughter's going to be 30 next week, so (laughs) believe me. but, But one of my mottos is, you know, you can have it all, but you can't necessarily have it all at the same time. And believe me, 25 years ago, I was holding on by my fingertips. Even when I left the law firm, I went to work for the city. I actually think I worked harder working for city government than I did working for the law firm, but I had flexible hours. Uh, so, so in a sense, my work product is finished. She's pretty much baked by right now. <laughs> but I will tell you, and I always have to tell this story, because it's, it's, it's a good example of what I was talking about earlier in terms of loyalty. I went to work for the city, and I worked for Mayor Daley. And anyone who's from Chicago or knew Mayor Daley, he's kind of a tough boss, and he scared me a lot, uh, particularly in the beginning. And I can remember being in his office early on. I was Commissioner of Planning and Development, and I was sitting there, and the corporation council was one of my best friends, and she was sitting opposite me. And he's talking, and we're kind of not really, again, not paying attention. It's a bad habit I have. And we're looking at each other making eye contact, and he finally realizes that we're not paying any attention to him at all. And he goes, what is more important than what's going on here? And then this moment of truth, I said to him, the Halloween parade starts in 25 minutes. <laughs> or 20 minutes, and it's 25 minutes away. And you know, I kind of held my breath to see what he would do. And he said, then what are you doing here? And I am telling you the relief that I felt is Susan and I are like flying down Lakeshore Drive in Chicago and we pull up in front of the school just as the doors open and these little darlings come out in second grade and they're in their costumes. And of course, they're looking through the audience for us. And well, what if we hadn't been there? And so one of my advice to young parents is, is that to the degree that you find an employer where you can be honest and you don't feel like you have to sneak to go to the Halloween parade or soccer or take him to a doctor's appointment or something like that, then you know that you're in the right place. And for the employers, the loyalty I feel to Mayor Daly to this day, if he calls me and he asks me for anything at all, I still remember that Halloween parade. And so my daughter's now grown and so I don't have the challenges of a young child and trying to meet the demands of a very demanding job. So I can work. 20 hours a day and I have to work I can come here and be with you and then I can go back to work because there's no little kid waiting for me and I I don't get out much so this is fun for me Uh, but it's it's hard it's very hard and no matter where you are young uh, when you're parenting young children it is just exhausting and I think you just have to get used to that fact and all I can assure you is that they do in fact eventually grow up
4: (laughs) Uh, well, thank you so much, Valerie. We're so glad. To go now? Enjoyed... Well, no, you Someone stay.
2: You're keeping me from having to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks thank so much, you. Valerie. Nice to meet you.
4: Keep your kids busy after school with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Penpal pal sam and sofia will send your child a monthly package in the mail each highlighting a new global destination like kenya or spain follow the journey on the wall-sized world map and enjoy learning through letters souvenirs stickers fun little activities and more mom and dad are fighting listeners can save 40 percent on their first month today with promo code mom and dad 40 that's momanddad D D A D four zero. learn more at littlepassports.com slash mom and dad all right Let's move on to our third and final segment today When our third and amazing guest. Ever since President George Washington brought his daughter Nellie Custis, well, she was actually his unofficially adopted step-granddaughter, things were really complicated back then. <laughs> uh, ever since he brought her along to social occasions in New York, presidents have had responsibilities not only to their countries, but to their kids. Here in the nation's capital, where the president's oldest daughter is thinking about her college decision right now, Let's have a conversation about presidential parenting. So please welcome the host of Face the Nation, a co-host of the Political Gabfest, Fest, and actual cool dad, John Dickerson.
6: <laughs> you brought your research materials up, I love it. Because you've already said more about presidential parenting than I know. <laughs> so I, have I, was, to bring I found material. that
4: by googling "presidential parenting,"
6: it
0: is curious. <laughs> that it was, yes, George Washington. Nuts. I know you didn't know that earlier. <laughs> of course, I
4: didn't know that. <laughs> John, welcome. Uh, so we thought it'd be fun to talk with you through a few presidential parenting triumphs and fails. So let's start by saying by asking, who was a president who you think really nailed? being a dad or a mom if there have ever been any lady presidents
6: (laughs) I don't think there have been I don't know I don't know what Google says about that I forgot to look that up Um, well it depends what you mean by good or bad Um, so on the let them do whatever the hell they want whatever the hell they want front uh, that's my favorite which is Teddy Roosevelt with Alice Roosevelt Longworth who has to be the best first child I mean the best child of a president she, um, remember when some staffer got in trouble for writing about how the Obama girls, when they rolled their eyes at that stupid turkey pardoning moment, and the staffer said, oh, they should sort of pick it up when they're in public. They should know they're... So that staffer was then fired for that. Um, so the Obama girls were rolling their eyes. Alice Lo- Roosevelt Longworth was rolling cigarettes in, like, the early 20th century. She was. She kept a snake in her purse. She had a uh, flask of booze that could fit in her gloves. She was smoking, rode streetcars, went to boxing matches, hung out with men and played poker. Um, she was great. And so uh, they went to Teddy Roosevelt and said, hey, you know, I know, oh, by the way, the, the cone of silence around presidential kids, which sort of started with Amy Carter was completely reversed so alice Roosevelt longworth would often be on the front page and whatever her father was doing whatever war he had launched that day was not covered you know but on like a12 but when alice was out with the boys it was the and then she had packs of reporters following her and uh, and then later she lived to be i think 96 and she was still in washington still doing these kinds of things she used to go to the boxing matches and the um, family tradition was you'd hold up a white handkerchief so that when the cameras um, showed the boxing match, they could see the, the Roosevelt family or, or her and her party there with the, um, with the handkerchiefs. And she had all those great things. She had that needlepoint pillow that said, if you can't say something nice about someone else, come sit next to me. <laughs> uh, she once described someone as being weaned. Uh, no, they looked like they had been weaned on a pickle. Which is a great line. She had another one that said that uh, my motto in life is fill what is empty, empty what is full, and scratch where it itches. (laughs) So she had practical advice as well. So um, anyway, so her father, who the most famous quote, though, is when he was when he was um, asked about her. He said, look, I can either run the country or deal with Alice, but I cannot do both. (laughs) So he just let her ride. Um, and so that was probably the best presidential planning. Although, I mean, President Obama so far, you know, there has not been a single public incident with his kids. They've seemed to be, you know, able to balance all of that. Um,
0: is that the measure?
6: What man, Well, think about, think about what that life is like. I mean, so if kids at that age don't want to be defined by their parents and don't want to be locked in either physically or emotionally... You couldn't design a, job, a a life that is more confining than a presidential life. You have the Secret Service tromping around everywhere you go at school. Your parents are... You are constantly being defined as an adjunct to your parents. Even if you don't... Even if you aren't actually, you assume everybody who's whispering and saying, oh, that's, you know, the president's daughter. And you live in this crazy, as President Clinton called it, the, the finest piece of real estate in the federal penal system. I mean, it's... It's you live in a in a gilded prison. So I don't think that's what you want when you're that age. Now I'm sure there are all these wonderful great perks, but psychologically you gotta. No, work I just meant is that, that the
0: measure, measure of a good president as parent. The, the kids who don't. Oh who yeah, don't that was where it, it that's care. where
6: that sentence was going. Sorry, I took it. <laughs> I took a left at Albuquerque. Um, I was. <laughs> What I was trying to say is that given all of that pressure on a kid, you could imagine them doing what kids apparently do, which is acting out when they are confronted by pressures not of their own making.
4: Is there a president in our long and proud history who just blew it, who just had a tremendous presidential parenting fail? Well, let
6: me think. Well, depends what you think of Grover Cleveland. Um, (laughs) Hate that guy. So in 1884, in the election of 1884, which everyone here remembers... Um, so anyway, in 1884, Grover Cleveland is um, is losing or about to lose to James G. Blaine. In maybe in part, but anyway, the big story in the election, of course, was this illegitimate uh, child, and uh, born from uh, uh, an affair he had with Maria Halpin. Anyway, so he, uh, depending on whose story you believe, he got Maria committed to an insane, insane asylum, and then had this, the kid spirited away and basically put with a foster family. Um, so that's not the way you're supposed to behave. The way Maria uh, describes it, he, was, she, he basically raped her. Um, and this was adjudicated in the campaign and would have been a problem, except for um, James G. Blaine had his own issues, including like mountains of scandals and things. So the, the measure was basically whether you misbehaved in your private life or misbehaved in your public life, and, and uh, Cleveland won on that one. But I think as a, as a parent, he was you know not so awesome.
0: Is there any way you can be president and be a parent in in the way that we think of being a
6: parent like is, there, is it possible um, unless you, you well in the way I think of being a parent is di- away from home all the time, so you can do very you can be very successful <laughs> at that um, Yeah well, I mean one upside is as, the, as President Obama says, you know the you work above the company store, so you're always home for, i mean you're home for dinner a lot, so you all have experienced this or you will anyway the the helping out when it comes to writing papers. So, you know, we're in the writing business, and so you, you might wanna lend a hand every once in a while when you read something they write, but you guys may not do this, but you may also sometimes go overboard. And so it's like two hours later, um, you know, and they're in tears as you're, um, as you're just rounding around your assessment of the second paragraph. Um, <laughs> So you can imagine a president who's written two books and fancies himself a writer just being, you know, you wouldn't want to show dad anything that you've written. Um, Look, you would have a lot of seriously meaningful conversations about how to stay, like, in touch with your own values because the whole world conspires to knock you off course. How to sort of keep yourself when all about them are losing their heads, which is not a bad conversation to have with your kids, but there aren't always the opportunities to do it. As president, you get a lot of those opportunities to talk to your kid about that, and also how to basically deal with when people do, you know, and are mean to you, uh, you learn how to deal with that pretty pretty quickly. So those are not bad lessons for kids to yeah. have. So let's talk about you for a second, John. Wait, uh, Kim, before we talk about me, which is my favorite subject, and, and I appreciate it, because you promised me we'd talk about me. Um, so I was reading about uh, Jimmy Carter for something else recently, and reading his diary. So the diary's written, you know, personal, professional, personal, professional. So... Um, Here he goes, uh, I approved judges, and Mrs. Ginsburg wanted to be on the Second uh, Circuit Court of the D.C. Court. She has been a matter of some controversy. That is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, now uh, Associate Justice of the Breams Court. Next sentence. Amy had a dirty word written in her hand, and we deprived her of television entertainment and visitors for three days. (laughs) (laughs) She's a remarkably well-behaved child, doing really well on the violin, but doesn't like the lessons. With Republican congressional leaders, Jake Garn. <laughs> so that was uh, that was how Jimmy Carter parented. Got it. I'm sorry. Back to me. No.
0: <laughs> so you wrote a, re- a very beautiful piece after the last presidential election about coming back home to your family, to your kids, after having been on the campaign trail for you know 18 months, two years. Yeah. You're preparing to do that again how do you prepare for it and like and what is that process like for your kids for you for your wife uh my my long suffering wife who's here yeah I'm right here
6: <laughs> well it's it's so they're older now which is good and bad but the bad of course is you feel like they're slipping faster and faster and faster out of your out of your cold grasp <laughs> um, no but you know you feel like those um you're just it's different and changing and they're changing much faster and the distance that they um, separate from you feels faster than before. I mean you would you go on the road for two weeks and you come back and they look taller and they have new words and they talk in ways that are really different, um, but now it's really big leaps like you come back and they're shaving. <laughs> um, what has been interesting and good about being on the road over the last few months because it turns out I'm always on the road um, Two things have been interesting. One is you develop this epistolary relationship with the daughter or son who um, likes to write. So my daughter really is in, we exchange emails, and her voice in emails is a lot different than her regular voice, which is permanently mute. Um, <laughs> she just disappears from the, you know, so we don't, uh, but when we communicate by email, it's, uh, it's really interesting, and you can have long um, exchanges that are different my son is the exact opposite so I'll get like a couple of letters arranged sometimes into a word um, <laughs> but in person he's much more you know he's much less laconic what I've started to do recently that seems to sort of work and actually the audience at our San Francisco live gab fest uh, all of them were so awesome in this um, so I'll take a video skyping is a mess because they're from this generation where they don't know how to use phones Right, because they just text, so they don't know how to... They, the phone rings, and they put it like on their shoulder, or, <laughs> and it's amazing. Um, My kid, once she calls someone on the phone, and they answer the phone, she says, Who is this?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
6: and why are you calling me? Yeah. Um, so because they have no relationship with being tied to a phone with at least... I mean, you can pace, but in the old days where there was the curly Q, you had to at least participate in the mechanism of the right. phone... Um, with Skype you Skype and they're just bouncing all around like they don't care. That's not but if you time, if you send them a video Then they can watch it on their time and then they send one back So we've been exchanging videos on our own time schedules, which is uh, which works out pretty well and um, And it's cool. They get to see uh, different hotel rooms uh, <laughs> And I'm telling you the courtyard Marriott in Des Moines is so much different than the one in Dayton Um <laughs> The, uh, and so, uh, so that's the way you try and deal with uh, being on the road. Sounds like a joy. <laughs> yeah. But also they're at the stage where they're like, a little goes a long way with their relationship with dad. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, hey, dad. Okay, that's cool. Bye. <laughs> Unless you have all those
4: children who are going to be in the debate the next in a couple of weeks that so you'll have to corral and deal with.
6: <laughs> you mean you're referring to the candidates? Oh, are yes. you? Are you? Uh, that, was, that was what I call political commentary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking you could have a little bleacher of children and then at some key point you could say, but what about the children?
4: (laughs) (laughs) All right, thank you very much,
6: John Dickerson.
4: Give it up. All right, uh, we've gotten to recommendations. Allison, why don't you take it away?
0: Okay. Uh, I want to recommend coin collecting for kids. Uh, My kids right now, you know They go through phases of what they're into but they're both into or two of them that are old enough to be into things are Into football, which is kind of strange. We're not athletic at all And I think right we're supposed to be discouraging football, but we just yeah Yeah. We just had a football birthday party which like they wanted it to be tackle football And everyone wears helmets and I had to explain brain trauma to them (laughs) Uh, but then they're also into money like very into money (laughs) counting money comparing money everything money obsessed with money i have no idea how that happened because i don't care about money at all Uh, but so we're slowly in the process of sort of trying to focus that interest in money into coin collecting Um, and i think it's working it's like educational it's fun it's making them not Turn into little Bernie Madoffs. Uh, so, yeah, that's my recommendation. Get there, these fun books where you can, you know, you guys know what this is. You stick in the state quarters into every state, and it takes them a good few hours to work on it. That's my recommendation. What is Dan's recommendation?
4: Okay, so my recommendation is um, these. Uh, I am busy working right now, feverishly, even behind the scenes, things are happening, uh, on manufacturing and selling the game Ace of Hates and becoming a thousandaire, um, as heard on Slates. Mom and dad are fighting. Uh, but so I was writing the rules the other day, and I got stuck on how to decide who goes first.
0: Wait, you really are doing this? Yeah.
4: <laughs> My lawyer just finished the trademark search.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: you don't get a dime. (laughs) Uh, So like it's hard to figure out who goes first in a game. Like you can draw a card, everyone draws a card, but then there's so many ties, you have to draw other cards and it's so boring or like some games have it like who had the most recent birthday or who was the last person to poop? And those of you like have to talk it out and what if you never poop? But so I was trying to think of what there should be a product that just allows you to figure out who goes first in a game every time and it's perfectly even and equal and no one has an advantage. And now there is such a product. It is these. They are go first dice. They're 12 sided dice. There's four of them. And they are mathematically created so that every time you roll all four of them, you never repeat a number and they have an equal chance of, of coming up in any sequence. So everyone has an equal chance of going first in the game. Apparently this is actually a very tricky mathematical calculation that mathematicians have been working on for years and years and years and years and years. And years. And so, uh, so these uh, mathematicians named, uh, I think of them as uh named Eric Harshbarger and Robert Ford, figured it out, figured out the, the calculation and designed these dice. They are such a great and elegant solution to a problem that you didn't even know you have. You can get them for nine pounds sterling uh, from mathsgear.co.uk. We will have a link on our Facebook page. You can also read the whole mathematically complicated story of how they came to be at bitly.com/gofirstdice. We are going to use these Go First dice to decide who buys me the first drink at the bar afterwards.
0: I don't want to shit on your recommendation, but, but I do not think that's that is going to take off just as much as Ace of Hates is going to take off. <laughs> that's our show. That's our show. <laughs>
4: That's our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com/slash/MomAndDadAreFighting, or drop us an email at momanddad@slate.com. Thanks so much to our producer Ann Hepperman and to Jocelyn Guest, who's recording us live today. Thanks to Andy Bowers, the chief content officer for Panoply. Mom and Dad are fighting is part of the Panoply network. To see the rest of our lineup of podcasts, visit iTunes.com/panoply. Thanks to our guests Stephen Thompson, John Dickerson, and Valerie Jarrett. Thank you to our intern, Jesse Jason Tabor. Thanks to Slate's Aaron Bergen and Faith Smith for making this show happen. And thanks to Wooly Mammoth for hosting us. Thank you, Allison. Thank
0: you, Dan. And
4: thank you to our amazing crowd here in D.C. Give yourselves a hand.
2: Good night. (laughs)